Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined. I'm so excited to chat with him. The one and only Mr. Randy Spelling. Hi there. How are you? I'm doing well today. How about you? Pretty good. What are you up to? You're in Oregon, right? Yeah, I'm in Portland, Oregon. And um, let's see, how's it been going? I don't know about you, but every every month feels elongated. Like, honestly, I've been making the most of it uh, as much as I can. I think, you know, I, I work with a bunch of clients in my life coaching practice. So then I'm, I'm working on tips and tools to keep everyone else sane while uh, doing that for myself. Which I'm going to talk to you about because I want to get into your practice and like how that I think ties into quarantine and just in general. But Here's what I like to do. I feel like we can't get to the present until we go to the past. So I just like with everyone just to like start at the beginning and, you know, like who is Randy Spelling? Yeah, let's do it. So, okay. So before we get to all of this, so you were born in LA. Born in Los Angeles. And then, you know, I think there is a misconception that you were born in the manor, but you actually lived in another house first. Very true. Yes. Uh, We lived across the boulevard on sunset. (laughs) Uh, One was north, one was south. So I lived for the first uh, 11 to 12 years of my life in another house before the the manor. Like, do you have any recollection? I mean, you were young. Oh, yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, that that was my, my growing up house, the real formative years, my earliest memories. And then the manor, I remember when we were, I, I would go over, my parents would take me over and I would, you know, we would do walkthroughs of the house. And as a kid, it is so hard to envision rooms when the house is open and there's just framing up. And so my mom's trying to describe to me, oh, this is this room and this is this room. And after five minutes, straight over my head and I want to go play. So I couldn't grasp the enormity of it and what it was going to be until it was constructed. We moved in, you know, moving in, furniture still coming in, and I wasn't used to the house. And it was kind of scary for the first week because it was huge. And I thought, oh my gosh, just to go downstairs to get food, it's going to be a long way. But, you know, after a few weeks being 12 years old, finding paths to skateboard outside the house and ways of playing hide and seek with my friends and running around. 
it, it, it became fun and uh, enjoyable very quickly. Did you not want to move? You know, because like kids are just like, why are we moving? Yeah, I was sentimental. I really loved our other house and I was used to it, right? That it housed our family, it housed our memories. So the change was, yeah, I don't know, difficult for a few days and then I got used to it. And even like as a young kid, you had enough ability to say like, oh my God, this house is huge. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it, it's hard even from the inside not to grasp the, the sheer size and what it was and not everyone lives in a house like that. So, yeah. We well, that's, that was another question. You know, I'm just always interested. So, like, when did you realize in your childhood, you know, like, we may not be living like everyone else. You know, like, okay, it was a wealthy area. So I imagine there were plenty of other people in high school, but you know, like our house is huge, like famous father. Like I'm always, you know, it's just like any child like that's born, like, you know, a a child of celebrities. Like when do you realize that? Like, is it, yeah. I don't remember a moment where, it occurred to me, oh, th- wow, this is so different. I do remember growing up, um, even though we lived in a in a wealthy neighborhood, and you know, a lot of the my my dad didn't fly, so it was funny to come back from a holiday or break and hear some of the kids. A lot of kids would go to Hawaii or they would take these trips, and you know, I would. F- I would always be envious because of these trips that we, we didn't go on. But I remember, you know, a limo would show up and for Christmas carols or something uh, in my elementary school or, you know, parent night and my parents would roll up in a limo and, you know, not everyone was pulling up in a limo. So I could start to see the difference and uh, I really noticed it I mean, it, it, it really became apparent on uh, when 90210 came out. Because when that came out, I would hear comments from peers in elementary school about your, your dad and being a producer and whatnot. But I still didn't fully understand until 90210 came out. Because all of my dad's shows previous uh, to Beverly Hills 90210, I was young. So I didn't get Dynasty was so big or Love Boat. I didn't even watch them. And it was on late at night and it just wasn't appropriate for me. So by the time I really was a TV watcher and Beverly Hills 90210 was, was my, my genre, my generation that came on and everyone at school was asking questions about what the next episode would be, what was going to happen. You know, I remember in history class, it was my first class. I think I was in eighth or ninth grade. I, I can't remember. And I, I walk in and everyone is cheering, Donna Martin graduates, Donna Martin graduates. And at that point, I thought, okay, obviously, this is different than the norm. This is huge. Did yeah. you ever, like, now that you're older, like, did you ever go back and watch, like, Charlie's Angels, like, Heart to Heart, like, any of these just, I mean, these are like freaking classic TV shows. Yeah, yeah, I did. Through the years, I have seen some of those. And always interesting to see what was 
popular at the time and why. <clears throat> uh, I couldn't appreciate it in my younger years because I don't know about you, but when I used to see older, meaning 10 years before the time, I thought, oh gosh, this is, this is an old movie. This is an old TV show. I don't want to watch it. But <clears throat> when, I could, uh, when I could appreciate it more watching those, it's interesting to see how 70s they were or where people were at as to why they enjoyed that type of entertainment back then. Yeah, and they were just all so different, you know, like, but all so good. Like just the storytelling. Yeah, yeah, so different. And, and I mean, I look at TV now and I look at TV then and it was so innocent back then, even though you had feuds and it was dynasty, you know, people would be upset and they would slap each other. You know, it's very dramatic. And these days it's, you can say bad words on TV. You can, it really pushes the, the envelope compared to 60s, 70s, 80s. It was a lot different. It was. Was your high school like a who's who just because, you know, like, did you go to, it wasn't like, oh, no, now I you're going to tell me. Some, I remember uh, Robin Thicke was uh, a couple grades above me. There were some people, but it, I, I wouldn't say it was a who's who. It was a little bit more low key um, than, than some of the other schools around me. And what about, you know, because your mom is infamous for her parties that she throws. So were you, are you the type to get starstruck? Like back then, like, would you go down to like the living room and there would be, you know, whoever, like maybe mm -hmm. not someone from one of your dad's shows, but you're like, there's Michael Jackson in the living room just having, you know, like, was it like that? That did happen once. Really? I did get starstruck. Michael Jackson was uh, in this we called it a, a projection room because that's where uh, on Saturday nights, my, my parents would see movies. They'd scream movies. Um, we also had, you know, Christmas and holidays and get togethers in that room. And I came down one day, I think my, my dad called for me and I went down and Michael Jackson was there and you know, I, I had his records. I had a cardboard box on the floor, break dancing to his music. So I was completely starstruck. Some of the other movie stars that came to and fro, uh, again, before 12, and there was a lot of them I didn't understand. I didn't watch them on TV. So to me, it wasn't, oh my gosh, there's Sophia Loren, there's Joan Collins, there's... Uh, Jacqueline well, Smith. Jacqueline Smith. Uh, Stephanie Powers, Selleck, Stephanie Powers. I mean, so many people, but it's really interesting to, without knowing to see the, the presence that people have, because there's something, and I think people can see this now, right? When you see a movie star, I don't think it's just because they're known or celebrity that people go, Oh, I think when there's someone who is good looking, you know, doesn't matter uh, what gender. And also there, something in them has a star quality. There's something about them that they exude. So when you see them, you can feel their presence. I felt that all the time. I just couldn't understand the magnitude of who I was seeing. 
I would agree with that. Cause like I've been around celebrities in real life and I feel right. It's not just like a group of people that are kissing up to them. I mean, you do have that, but there is sometimes when you're in the presence of these like huge celebrities where you're like, there is something where you're just drawn in, not that you're kissing up to them. You're just like, this person is like, has something. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing uh, David Charvet. Do you remember from Baywatch? And Melrose Place. And Melrose Place. That's right. Um, I, I, it was a while ago and I saw him in Malibu and, you know, he was getting coffee or something. And I looked cause I was trying to see, Oh, how do I, how do I know him? And I, I think like most people in Los Angeles, everyone's kind of looking to see who's who. And I was that person and I was looking and there, again, there was just something about him. He was tan and you know, he had a presence, he was fit and, and attractive and just, he had a presence and you could tell, okay, there, yeah, that guy was a movie star. Interesting. Well, and the manor has its own wiki page. So like, that's not normal for most houses. <laughs> it has its own wiki page. Yes, it's 123 rooms, 27 bathrooms, 14 bedrooms, obviously Candy's gift wrapping room, and I think 56,000 square feet. Did you, did you name your place that you currently live in now? No. Oh, that has to happen. It's a must. It has to, right? Yeah, it has a soul. Supposedly, you know, the houses that we live in, the apartments that we live in, they, it has a soul. So, you know, might as well name it or acknowledge it. I mean, well, I actually should. Did you, like, did you feel, like, emotional, like, when it was sold? You know, like, when my, I mean, I moved, you know, I'm long gone from my childhood house, and when my parents were, like, you know, we're, we're selling it, I'm like, oh. You know, I mean, I wasn't ever going back, but, like, were you emotional when it was sold? I had feelings. Um, yeah, I was, I was sentimental about it because, again, so many memories but the sheer size of that house and the fact I'm out of the house, my sister's out of the house, it's my mom. It's too blatant to see it just doesn't make sense, right? So there's something, it, 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 it's not even rational to go, oh, well, you'll hold on to the house and you know it'll be in the family. It just doesn't make sense. So I, I, I understood it. I think there was a part of me that was sad because it was another level of finality that my dad's no longer here. And, you know, that, that I was connected to that connected to the past in the memories that we shared the house itself, not, not as uh, emotional as I thought I would be. Although I think the person who bought it was a single woman, I think. Yeah. Again, doesn't make sense. I mean, I, that it, it's a, it's, it's hotel size, right? So for one person, even if you have a lot of friends, it just doesn't make I, sense. I, 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 I would agree with that. So it really was 902 and 0. That's when it kind of was like, oh my God, you know, you were at the same age as everyone on. That's when you were really kind of like, this yeah, is a huge you know, deal. It's funny that you're asking me this because my children right now are nine and seven and they're just now I'd say in the past year. So six and eight, they're really starting to understand, Oh, is that person rich or does that 
person not have money. I think it's easier to see people who don't have money, right? You see someone on the street and they're wrapped in a blanket that, that, that makes sense. But because kids don't deal with money, it's very hard conceptually to understand the, the havingness and having so much. So I always knew from an early age that we had a lot, right? I, I, I always, that was apparent. I just didn't understand the magnitude. I didn't understand my father as a success or as a celebrity. I just knew him as dad. So that it, it, it starts to become disentangled when people start talking about your father. Then there's a correlation. Oh, it's not just you know, dad who works at the post office that someone might say, oh, you know, he, he or she did our route. It, it was sort of this, oh, people know my family. That's interesting. And then I don't remember what I did with it, but how do you, how do you integrate that? And how does that become a part of you walking in the world? You know? Yeah, no, I'm always curious of that. You know, like I just think of anyone that has, you know, like what about Madonna's children or JLo's children? I'm always just, it's, it's like the psychology behind it. I don't know. It intrigues me. Yeah. You and know. the psychology is weird. A lot of people will ask me this in terms of fame or, you know, what's it like? And it's, it's so complex because you can't fully understand what it's like to be thinking that people know something about you or know who you are until you're in that position. And for better or worse, I'm not, I'm not demonizing it. I'm not saying it's terrible. I'm not saying it's wonderful. Um, just from a neutral standpoint, it's a weird psychology, you know, when people are not famous and then they become famous, whether through acting or something else, then to walk into a restaurant and have to be aware that people are looking at you and questioning, why are they looking at me? Is there something on my face? Do they know who I am? How am I being? How am I presenting? How am I showing myself to the world? It's a weird psychology because you're not just then living in your body. You're living while projecting yourself through other people's eyes looking back at you. That's weird. Yeah, I would think that was weird. And I would think that also messes with a lot of people's minds. Sure. Yeah. But I also think it's addicting for a lot of people too. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's the same as the, you know, the phone and did someone email me? Oh, did someone see me? Is someone reaching out to me? It's that same dopamine hit and it becomes very addictive or it can, it can. And then, so when 90210 came out and then you went to school and people were chanting Donna Martin graduates and asking what was going to happen, were you like, you know, cause you were of the age where like, oh, cause 90210 was the biggest thing, the biggest thing. I mean, it still yeah. has a legacy, which is larger than life. Yeah. So the question was, did, did I then realize how big it was? Yeah. I mean, I would go out with my sister on a Sunday, you know, she would need a partner to go shopping with or go run an errand and I would go and going to our little mall uh, Century City Mall in Los Angeles was was close to us so we we would go there and when people would start running up and I remember there was a time that you literally 25 30 people 
would come up. And, and then again, I also realized, wow, this, this is something. Um, And I never was attracted to that. I never said to myself, Ooh, I want that. Or, Oh, I wish that was me at least consciously. And then I remember because I, I used to be asked all the time. My dad would ask me, other people would ask me, do you want to act? Do you want to act? Are you going to be an actor? And I said, no, no, no. I, I, I'll, I'll be behind the camera perhaps, but I don't want to be an actor. And I remember I was 15. We were at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. Again, my dad didn't fly. So our family vacations would be uh, to Las Vegas or Palm Springs. 90210 was huge. And we were walking in the forum shops at Caesars Palace as a family and I kid you not, there must have been two, 300 people that came up and made a crowd around my, my father and my sister. And I stood back and, you know, then there's security and everyone's screaming and waving and wanting a hug or a handshake or a picture. And I looked at that and I thought, wow. And I saw this happen in my mind. I thought, that is so powerful that all of these people would otherwise just walk by. We would never say hi to these people or acknowledge each other's existence. But now because of this medium that they're watching, there can be connection. There can be a real, that's powerful. There can be something that, you know, even just meeting someone, shaking their hand, saying a positive word to them, that changes, that has the ability to change something. I didn't figure this all out in the moment, but in retrospect, because I've looked at this moment many times, I remember two days later being at a dinner with my parents and saying, I think I want to act now. And that to me was the moment where I wanted that. I didn't know what I wanted, but I wanted that connection. I wanted the ability to be able to connect with people and do some sort of good. And I thought, Hey, I don't know another way. That's my easiest way. And it's like twofold, I would think, in the sense that, you know, like whatever you said to that person, like say Tori or your father, like they then go on their day, but then like that person will take that with them for possibly ever or weeks or months or just, I mean, like, you know, like they remember it. Whereas you look at like Tori, like she, you, they're meeting a million people, but that person will always remember that moment if they're a huge fan. Absolutely. I used to watch TV as a teenager. I mean, I first remember, uh, what was it, Growing Pains and, and watching okay. Cameron, right? And then I remember 90210 watching Jason Priestley and Luke Perry and Brian Austin Green. And in a way, I would start to kind of, like, Ooh, these are the cool guys. I would start to model my behavior and model some things after them. I mean, this is the power that people don't realize. And it's not just Beverly Hills, 90210. This is social media. Now this is video games. This is everything that we see. We have the ability to become without even knowing it. We just, there, it, we're inundated with it and we don't realize that what we're consuming goes in our brains and we actually can turn that around and, and start to model that. So, you know, it's like, if you, if you do that and like you said, that time where they connect 
and they might, my father may have said something really nice or Tori may have said something and that person had a good experience. What if they left and then they were nicer or more kind to someone in their family or their friends or that stayed with them and they realized I don't have to, to be successful or to get ahead, I can still be kind. I could still be nice. And that made a lasting impression on me. So you watch 90210 like right from the oh, beginning? Yeah, religiously, like every religiously, every single week. It, there, there was ceremony around it. Did you, I mean, then did you want to hang out? Were you like, okay, dad, like summons Jason Priestley to the house for me? No. S- summon the Priestley. <laughs> I mean, you know, if he no. called a meeting there, he would probably be. No, I was shy. I, I was shy. I mean, I, I, I loved hanging out with Jason. You know, I was, I was sort of like everyone's little brother when I'd be around. You know, I was Tori's little brother. So I remember going to rap parties and, you know, people would be sneaking me drinks and cocktails. So I, I had a great rapport with them, but it was never like, oh, yeah, dad, can you call Jason so I could hang out with him? No. And was it weird, you know, like when your sister became, you know, cause like it was your father, that's what you grew up with. Like then when like with your sister, you, like you said, you go to the mall and your father's nowhere to be seen, but like Tori can't even walk in the mall. Like, was that strange for you? Even though you didn't really no, want that? No, I don't think it was strange because when we would go out and I would go to a premiere or I would go to something, you know, I'd have to get dressed up. And of course there'd be cameras and I'd be taking pictures so I got used to it. Um, and I, th- I think it's just something that I accepted and got used to. Like, oh, that, that, that's what happens. You're on TV, you get recognized. It's really simple. It's kind of part of the job. But then what about the, like, you know, because like you, you say something to these people and they take it with them. But then what about the fact that in a way, I would think for certain like actors, it's isolating because like they don't know anything about you. So it's a strange, like there's all this love, but it's in a way there's a lot of love because of you're, you're good at your craft and they're, they are, res- and I'm not taking that away. This is not a criticism, sure. but in a way that's where people say, you know, I mean, even people that listen to this podcast will say, I love you. I love you. I'm like, okay, well, you don't know me. Like, I mean, I think don't a lot of actors go through that too. Wait, I have another question. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? For me, listen, I love being the host of the Behind the Velvet Rope podcast, but bringing you guys five shows a week, tracking down the top Bravo liberties to bring you new creative content every day, that causes me stress. It causes me anxiety. I'm not even going to get into the lack of sleep or lack of a relationship. So I needed somewhere to turn. And for me, I turned to BetterHelp. I love BetterHelp because it's professional counseling right from the comfort of your own home. What they do is they match you with a licensed therapist who is a professional that fits your needs and the things that you want to talk about. So you may not have the same issues as I do. They also deal with LGBTQIA issues, anger, grief, trauma. If you are having relationship issues, if you're in a relationship, good for you. I'm not. They really deal with everything and everything you share is confidential. So I cannot stress how much because of this job that I love so much, it has caused me some issues and better help really is a lifesaver. 
Right now, if you guys also want to start living a happier life as a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash velvet rope. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Velvet Rope. And as a listener, you guys get 10% off your first month. Try it. I promise you, you are going to feel so much better once you talk to one of their licensed professional counselors. And listen, so many people have been using BetterHelp. They're actually recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. DM me. Let me know how it goes. This has been a lifesaver for me. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you see actors, actresses who are struggling and everyone, it's very hard to be in a profession where everyone thinks it's amazing, right? You're famous, you have it all. Without realizing, I don't care what you put on Instagram or Facebook or, you know, what you portray, we are all human. We all have emotions. We all have ups and downs. And so that conversation needs to be had because otherwise it's people are looking at a snapshot or, or they see the character and they assume that person is exactly like their character without being human. Like, oh, you, you must be you know, the character that you portray. And so they're still looking at that person as the character without making the, the, the distinction. This person is different. They're, they're playing a role. They're doing a job. Right. That's true. Were you a huge Melrose Place fan as well? I did like Melrose Place. Not as, not as huge as 90210, but I, I watched every episode. It was literally the best show that's ever existed. Let me just put that out there. <laughs> but so now, I mean, did this have, did you ever have hang out with like any of the actresses like Shannon, Jenny? Um, not, not alone. Uh, I remember going to Shannon's house a couple times with my sister earlier on in the show. Shannon used to wrestle with me you know, in the first year or two of 90210. And I remember calling my friends, I got beat up by Shannon Doherty, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like my claim to fame. Um, yeah. And I, again, I'd see these people around, but the only one that I ever really hung out with myself was Brian Green. Him and I had a friendship. He did music at the time. So when I was uh, 17, 18, he helped me set up my little music studio and, you know, we, we hung out uh, a fair amount through the years uh, back then. What about Charmed? Did you watch Charmed? I did watch Charmed. I didn't watch every episode of of Charmed. I also then started working and got busy and, you know, but I liked it. It was so good. I mean, so look, we didn't have social media back then, but do you remember the like, hoopla around like from living not in it but like the whole shannon thing where you know like listen shannon got asked to leave two shows and you know now it's what is that that's nothing because look at like to your point where we are now with social media but like in a way shannon was social media before there was social media yeah 
So I never really got involved in that. I still don't get involved in that. People ask me all the time really uh, about things to do with Tori, my sister and what, and I don't, I, I purposely don't read those things, see those things. It's not because I want to keep my head in the sand. It's because I don't want to take a ride on the drama train with that. If someone's going to tell me something and share it with me, great. Let's talk about it. If not, it's not my business. It's not, I, I, it, yeah, not my thing. You just were always that way. Like never tempted to like. No, 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 no. That's not that's good. Listen, I'm a spelling. I come from a dramatic family. I was an actor. We all have the flair for drama. And in a way, you know, when drama happens, it's hard. It's like drama happens on the side of a road or there's an accident. It's really hard not to look. It's really hard not to, you know, drive by and sort of peek your head. But I've learned from my own sanity, I like to keep my, my, my energy high. I like to keep um, what I focus on really intentional. And those things, you know, you see it with politics these days, right? Someone makes a comment and all of a sudden everyone's talking about that one comment and I don't want to go down that road. It's just a waste of energy. I, I would agree with that. And so you did some, you tried your hand at some acting, Malibu Shores, and you were on 90210. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like it just wasn't for you and Sunset no, Beach. No, I liked, I, I liked acting. Um, I would be lying if I said I, 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 I craved it. I mean, there's some people who eat, breathe, sleep, die. They, they have to act. I wouldn't say I was that way. I loved it. I love the creative process. And I did quite a bit. I was on a soap opera that ran for three years. So I did a ton. I mean, we would do a script a day, you know, 60 pages in a day. So I, I got a lot of hours. I did a, a bunch of a whole string of independent movies. So, I mean, I acted for, for a while um, and I do like it. I just, I don't know, right around when my dad passed away in 2006, it, it I was soul searching. I was searching to find who I was and how I mattered and what I wanted to do and what my purpose was. And so I had to take a break from acting and open up my own doors to, to really find what fulfills me. That makes sense. And I have more questions on that too, but I've, before we get there, we're almost there. So on Malibu Shores, where you were on, that was with Carrie Russell. What's Carrie Russell like? He was nice. You know, we didn't have that many scenes together, so I wasn't hanging out with her as much as some of the other cast, but she was always very nice. Uh, her and, and Tony Luca were together back then. I remember the whole Mickey Mouse Club contingent, which I I didn't watch that. So I didn't know, but everyone was like, Oh, they're on the Mickey mouse club. And thought, you know, and Tony Lucas sitting there playing guitar and, you know, Carrie Russell has the, the beautiful lion mane hair. And she comes. So I was kind of starstruck just by her beauty and going, Whoa, what land did I wind up in here? You know, I'm, I'm acting in a show with all these beautiful people. And, and I was in high school. The conversations that kids were having in high school, the cliques, 
the social blah that was happening, the jealousy, the pettiness. I go on set and they're, you know, young 20 year olds who are having these deep philosophical discussions and, you know, they're talking about life and they're hanging out. And I thought, I want this. I don't want to go back to that. I like this. Did you ever get like that jealousy in high school where people, you know, like jealous or yeah. was it the opposite? Like kiss his ass because he'll get you on 90210 or he'll get you a Shannon Doherty meeting. I think it was more jealousy than kiss his ass. I'll admit it. As important as it is for me to eat healthy and put the right nutrients into my body and hydrate, I'm really not great at it. I'm always on the go. I'm never making that a priority, and I'm always hungry. This was a real problem until I discovered 310 Nutrition. I love 310 Nutrition's water hydrators. You just add them to water, and they make your water taste so much better. They also have refreshing lemonade mixes. My personal favorite, they're all-in-one shapes. I love their caramel sundae, their vanilla cake, the shamrock cream. I drink one of these shakes, and it totally satisfies my hunger. They're low in fat and low carbs, which I love. They also satisfy my carb craving. But don't take my word for it. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code VELVETROPE and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 off your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and it's easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code VELVETROPE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code VELVETROPE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, I don't know. I don't think kids at that age, I'm sure it was both, but, but really it was more jealousy and, you know, the posturing that happens in school and the cliques that form and the, I mean, I remember almost getting into a handful of fights and thinking, what's happening? Like this is happening for no reason, right? The hormones are surging and guys are being guys and everyone's trying to posture to be cool. And I just, I'm not saying I'm holier than thou. It just, it was like when every, when all the boys were hanging out with the boys in fourth grade and third grade and no one wanted to go over to the girls. I was hanging out with the girls. I was hanging out with the boys and I was hanging out with the girls. I was like, Hey, I'd like, I'm going to have a girlfriend and hang out with all these people and I'm going to come over and hang out with you. Why isn't everyone hanging out? Same thing with high school. I would, all the different cliques of the, the, the nerdy kids. I don't like that expression, but you know, just for sake of discussion, I'd go and hang out with them and I would sort of walk around and, you know, say hi and talk to all these different groups. I just didn't get it. And I, I use this word sparingly. I hate hated it. I hated that dynamic. Just as far as like the different cliques and bullying. Yeah. I think it really Fs people up. I I, I think it's so hard 
to find yourself. It's so hard to feel good about yourself and to feel confident. And in those years where it's confusing, right? Again, you have all these hormones going through your body and you're looking at how to make decisions and how to become educated and be smart and then how to navigate socially. And, and then you have people who are, could be making fun of you or could be bullying you or, and it's just, it's cruel. It's that, that is the best time that people can be supportive because that's when you get your sense of self, right? Then, then you go off to college, you go off in the world and you've had to deal with these years of navigating all these hurtful social dynamics. I was bullied in high school, so I understand. I mean, I have nothing exciting to say about my high school experience in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it all worked out, but I agree. Like, it could go one of two ways. It really could. Yeah. So, I mean, on the other hand, were there people that were, especially like when 90210 came out, that were befriending you and then you know all of a sudden after three weeks it was like hey could we meet shannon could we meet i mean did you have a lot of people you know or just even from being a spelling like that must have happened where people and especially in the business i'm sure i'm sure i mean when i when i saw that when i became aware of it i would turn the other direction so yeah I would never lead people on. I would never go, oh, hey, I'm going to get you in one of my dad's shows. I never used it like that at all because I couldn't stand it. I didn't, yeah. I didn't be used. I didn't like the energy of that coming toward me. Did it happen? I'm sure. I'm sure I got more dates than I potentially deserved because you know of that. But when I became aware of it, if there was, you know, if I ever went out with a, with a girl and, and then after a while I would feel that, that I would never go out with her again. So yeah. I tried my best to, to keep it pretty clean and clear, but. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, just sometimes, you know, like when you're younger, it's harder to recognize the signs. Yeah. And the other thing too is I'm me. So I don't know. It's very hard, you know, being you looking from your position out into the world, it's very hard to step completely aside, look at yourself through a bird's eye view and go, Oh, this is what's going on. You know, it's hard. It's, that's why it's easier to give other people advice, harder to take your own advice. I would agree with that a hundred percent. Like they say, like when they say doctors make the worst patients, like it's all, did you find like when you wanted to go into acting, like, was it harder because you were Aaron Spelling's son? Like, did you feel like you had to work 10 times harder or no, nothing like that? Easier and harder. So easier because I got jobs. Yeah. <laughs> right? Easier for a door to be opened. Easier to get an agent. Harder when you're doing it by your own merit. So I remember going into auditions and again, the first few auditions, I auditioned for my father, right? And I got in the director and whatever, and I ended up getting on the show. I mean, I think if I was absolutely awful, they would say, okay, why don't you work a little bit more or whatever? Um, but yeah, but it, it made it easier to do that. When I went on other auditions, I remember hearing talk of them you know, 
talking. There was one audition where I could hear them talking about me before I went in. They were like, oh, it's Aaron Spelling's son and blah, blah, blah. And just hearing that made me so nervous. I remember my heart started beating. Literally, my shirt looked like this. It was beating out of my chest. And I went in and I was shaking. And what I digested that as is, ooh, I get nervous. It wasn't. It was just I was finally hearing how people could view me. So like I said, I then, instead of viewing life through my eyes, I started look, I started to think in my mind, oh, people are judging me. People are judging me. And that became constant for me uh, in terms of acting so much so that I, it turned me off. I didn't like it. I remember there were a couple auditions that people said to me, wow, you're actually pretty good. And I said, thanks. I didn't know how to take that. And they said, well, because you're Aaron Spelling's son and, you know, the whole nepotism thing, we didn't really want to bring you in. Someone suggested that we do it, but you're actually pretty good. You're, you're pretty, I don't think you're right for this part, but, you know, good for you. Or, you know, we're happy that we brought you in. And while that was probably a compliment on their side to me, I was cringing. It's like, oh, damn, people, are, <laughs> they're thinking that I'm bad already. and. I didn't know then how to turn that into personal power. I'm just going to show them and I'm going to show up. I was like, oh my gosh, everyone's judging me. I just want to go and hide. Like this perception, like nepotism and we better, you know, you've gotten some jobs because of your father or we better hire him or give him some type of consideration because we might need a favor someday, something like along those lines. Right. The idea that they would potentially be hiring me because of my last name or that they didn't even want to see me, but they, they, they are seeing me. So that was like, Oh, there's all of this judgment. Yeah. It's like walking to the front of the class while everyone's laughing and snickering. It feels horrible. Yeah. Like that's what I mean by probably harder, even though you had doors open and I mean, you just can't show up in audition. Like, you're not an actor. Like you have this background right. in addition right? without doing anything. Like it, you never used a fake name like Tori did. No, no, I mean, no. And then just being a huge fan of reality TV. So let's talk about 2007. Oh. Sons of Hollywood. Okay. I watched that show. I don't think it was bad. I mean, I'm just based on your reaction. Apparently you think it was awful. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the highlight of my career. I never wanted to do reality. I, I, I was always a, a pretty private person, but you know, reality was exploding at the time. And uh, my representation is like, you should, you know, you should do reality. You should do reality. And I railed against it for a while and then this show came up and I, I wouldn't necessarily have chosen to put myself in that position, in the circumstance, living in that house, living with the people in the house. And so it was reality and also, you know, let's make a show. And I'm, I am not good at lying, meaning I, 
I wear my heart on my sleeve. Yes, I can act, but this was real life, right? This was, my life was a mess at the time. I was completely addicted to drugs and alcohol and trying to, you know, find the surface of the ocean. Uh, right when the show started, my dad became really ill. I mean, his health had been declining, but right when the show started, it was like he might have a matter of months. And I was mortified. Oh my gosh, not only do I have to deal with that, now I'm shooting the show. I'm under contract. I'm committed to it. And I have to deal with this on camera. Um, and it just, it played on everything that I didn't want to be, but was doing that in the show. And so it just wasn't uh, a highlight for me, but it was a huge, I have to appreciate that show because that was a huge catalyst for me. My, my father did pass away during the filming of the show. Once I finished that show, I checked myself into rehab and I just said, no more. I'm not going to live like this. And that was the turning point for me. And then seeing the show when it came out, I thought never again, I'm not gonna, you know, it's like when you, when you lie and then that lie grows bigger and bigger, you know, I tell people all the time in life, if there's something that you feel ashamed about or something that you don't like, don't do it really across the board. Because then, you know, if other people are upset with you or judging you or mad at you, you don't give them anything to be upset with or mad about, and you don't give yourself anything to be upset with. And so uh, that's what I did. I just said, no more, I'm not doing this anymore. And, you know, that's when I started to ask myself, who am I? What do I want to do with my life? Uh, where's the meaning? What do I, you know, wh where's the, the real meat on the bones. And you think in part that was from like watching yourself back on this show and doing this show. I think that was a huge stepping stone. Yeah. I think, I think that was my rock bottom. So in looking at that, it was very easy to see. That's probably my most inauthentic moment series of moments. So how can I now find me? that's not me, how can I find me? And I started the process of that. And your rep, it, the show wasn't like built around you because you were a spelling. It was literally like a casting of, I mean, cause. No, 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 it, 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 the show was already, it was, there was supposed to be a couple other people in the show beside me. And then uh, one of them fell out and another person fell out. And then I kept being asked to do it. And finally I accepted, but I never wanted to go out in the world playing on, ooh, I'm the spelling. Like, ooh, I'm special in any way because I'm the spelling. In fact, I worked really hard to try and be as normal as possible. And so when, when we did the show, it was like, oh, we're going to club, which I already was doing, it, it, to be honest. But it was like as big as it could be right now we're getting a, a, a car because of who, I don't know, all these things to just make it look bigger than life. And there was so much of that show. I mean, that was a real, that was not a scripted show. Really? There, 
it, we might've created a couple situations to be in, but that was not scripted. There were camera men, women there filming 14, 15 hours a day. You know, there'd be a camera in the room and it was just live your life. There were so many moments that didn't get shown because it, it didn't make the editing of the concept of the show. Right. They were actually beautiful, real, heartfelt, dynamic moments, but that probably didn't make good TV based on what the show was, you know, in editing, it's like, Oh, here's the angle of the show. Let's find that angle and really exploit that angle that those angles really got pretty heavily exploited without maybe showing the roundness of the rest of those moments. And did you ever say as you were filming it, even though like, weren't you somewhat aware of like, well, you know, this is what my father does. Like, I mean, okay, not for reality, but like I grew up around this. Like, was it obvious what they were like? Oh, you know, like, did you have moments where like, oh, I see where this is going and how this is going to be edited. No, because I wasn't in my right mind a lot of the time. Like I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with all of that. So my own ups and downs, my father passing away, there was a lot of family drama around my father passing away. So then there's that. And like you asked before about drama and I said, I I don't like to engage in it. I was fully committed (laughs) to the drama back then, fully committed, all in. So I, I, I don't even know which way is up. So it's really hard to step back and go, you know what, that shot that they're getting, I I just was trying to stay afloat. Did your addiction start like when you were young, just a matter of like, you know, again, I mean, I'm not saying just because you're a spelling, you're also well off, like no one's going to say no. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, if I look back, you know, 13, 14, I'm sneaking alcohol here and there, which I have kids, that's way too young. Um, but I wouldn't have said it was an addiction at 13 or 14. I think probably around 18, 19, when I needed to feel differently, even if it was just on the weekends, it was like, I need to feel differently. And for me, um, what I've come to recognize is I was a really, really empathic, sensitive kid. And so I was like an exposed nerve, always feeling everything, feeling my own emotions, feeling everyone else's emotions, but I had no context, no way to understand that or language that. So using a substance helped me to not feel that as much. I could sort of just feel one thing without feeling all of that. And because that came a, became a crutch for me, then it was hard to live life not using something so that makes sense yeah and it was after that show and then you went and that was it and you just got clean yeah i got clean um and then i kind of flip-flopped for a few months after that and then that was it and then i was just i was done Wow. sort of like i went from here to here in a good way, or maybe I should say I went from here yes. to up here and then like back down a little bit. And then, then it was just like this. That's pretty good. I mean, it takes, yeah, I listen, 
I feel so lucky and fortunate. Addiction is no joke. People, I mean, I can't tell you how many people were even with me in that uh, rehab who aren't here anymore. I mean, it's, it's sad and it's hard. And, and back in my um, early days in my practice, I did a lot of addiction work and help with people um, until, uh, I mean, I still do it here and there, but uh, most of what I do doesn't necessarily focus only on that. But these days we have so many fun things to be addicted to, right? It's like addicted oh to the news, addicted to drama, addicted to what's being said on Twitter, addicted to the phone, addicted to our habits, addicted to improper mindset that's working against us. And we go, why aren't we getting what I want? But we're addicted to not getting what we want and not knowing another way. So that's what I'm interested in now is working with people on how to get what they want so that they can create the life that, you know, you feel inside. It's like life should be like this. There's a way that it could be more like that, but it, it takes some, some tools and, and some practice. Which, okay. I have, I have a lot, I have a bunch of questions on that, but just one more question. So you, so you don't watch reality TV, right? I mean, I you're on. I don't. Nope. Once in a while, once in a while, if, if I have idle time, which I don't have much of these days, I used to turn on, uh, an Alaskan show. I was kind of obsessed with Alaska, just the extreme nature of it from the, um, those crab, the crabbing boats to these families that live in Alaska and homestead and do everything themselves. Something like that was just so opposite of how I grew up that it was fun for me to watch. Other than that, I do not all the the housewives of this and that and that I, I, I just can't do because I don't want that level of drama in my life. I, I don't, that's not entertainment to me. That's not like, Ooh, this feels so good to watch other people's drama. What do you think your father would say about the state of reality TV if he were alive? No, he would be scratching his head going, oh my God. But you know, he created shows that were also dramatic. So I don't think it's a far leap to go from something like Dynasty, Melrose Place. There is a lot, the the whole show was a soap opera. Uh, Kimberly pulled her hair off and blew up an apartment building. So yeah, it was just, it's calculated drama, which I don't know. Calculated drama to me, there's always, there's a separation, right? There's a script. You could see these are actors. Reality is dangerous to me. And I'm not demonizing reality, right? Or No, I mean. Anyway, it's a medium. It's a platform. It's here and it's not going anywhere and it's fine. But I think it can be, it can be dangerous when people don't see the delineation between their, a lot of it is somewhat scripted. It's situational. They're creating these things and people are playing caricatures of themselves. They know that you need drama, right? The producers are usually like, bring it. They're encouraging it because that's what makes good TV. If everyone is sitting around just sitting and having conversations like this, it'd be a podcast, right? But it's not going to keep people, unfortunately, it's not going to keep people on the couch going, oh my gosh, what happened? Did you hear what happened about this? And in your, to your point, second, third, seventh, 10th year, you know what you're doing. So you want to keep your job. Your paycheck gets bigger every year. You do become, I believe you become a caricature of yourself and you know what you're doing. And I would agree with that. Yeah. So you don't think your father would be in, in reality TV. You don't think he would say, let's put, you know, 
this on the side. Let me try my hand at some reality TV. No, I don't. But my dad was, my dad was old school, right? I mean, he, he came, he was a writer. He was an actor. He was a writer. He was a producer. So for him, um, that's what he did. He created material. He created entertainment. I don't, I think reality, we had a conversation about it once uh, when he was um, lucid and watching. And I remember once he, he couldn't understand it. I think some of the original reality, maybe survivor or something. And it just, to him, it wasn't, it wasn't entertainment, right? It wasn't what he was used to. He's now like, there can be you? some, some powerful reality shows. So I don't think all reality is bad or it's evil or it's terrible. I think like anything, right. There can be good social media. There could be bad social media. There could be good reality. There could be bad reality. I just think people need to be conscious of what they consume. So just ask, how does it make you feel? Does it keep you addicted to the drama? Does it make you feel good? When you turn that off, do you feel better in your life? If you do great, you're doing something that's probably really healthy. If you're consuming something and you feel lethargic afterwards, you get up off the couch and you're like, oh my gosh, did I just go through three hours of that? And, and you don't feel that good. There's a reason why. What do you think is like the biggest misconception of your father, your mother, Tori? I mean, there's a lot of probably things that are m- misconceived. The biggest misconception. And it doesn't have to be the same for all three. Right. Um, I have no idea. I'm not even sure how to answer that. I don't, I don't know what, what I, I, I am not sure of what the popular perception is to know what a misconception would be. Again, I really do my best not to indulge in all the the headlines and the magazines and stuff. So because of it, I don't really know. I don't, I don't look on social media feeds and read comments. So I don't really know. That's really, you're just very self-actualized. What about, in like a good thing. I'm not saying that's bad. <laughs> on, a, on a good day. I mean, I'm, and like you said, someone might think they know you from this show, right? And it's the same thing. Someone might look at my feed and go, oh my gosh, he's the most positive person and he's this and that. And I have my moments, right? I still argue with my wife. I still have a moment, a parenting moment where I do something less than ideal and I I have to rectify that and have a conversation about that. So I'm not walking around completely self-actualized. I am human, just like everyone else listening to this. I may just have done more self-work. And I do this with people every single day. So when you do something with people every single day, it's hard not to pay attention to the patterns that people have and then do something about it yourself. That makes sense. What about, okay, so this is not the same question, but why do you think, you know, all the tabloids are so concerned with, you know, like you said, we don't have to hash it up, but like you said, like after your father's passing, there was so much drama surrounding that. And now 
you know, there's chatter and like there's, then it ties into money and who has what, like, why do you think, like, I mean, the tabloids are, I guess, in society, like, why, why, why is everyone so concerned? Is it because it's money and people want always to talk about money? Is that what it is? Yeah. I think money, I mean, do you think about money? Well, I mean, listen to all the questions I'm asking you. And it's not like, I mean, it's just, I think, you know, like I like to get in the head, like what I like to do is get in the head of like the people that are listening and say, really, if you cut through all the bullshit, when I speak to someone like you and I mean, and speak to people from all walks of life, I'm like, I think this is what people really want to know. Yeah, I do. I mean, and I don't know why I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just saying. Because this is how we're educated. This is in society, money is king or queen, right? You, we live in a, in, in a capitalistic society, <laughs> um, especially in this country. And what is valued? I mean, if you look at the, the people who are most revered, have a lot of money. They have a lot of success. People treat them differently. And I think for people who don't have that, it might be this pedestal moment of if I had that, I would feel the way I imagine I would feel. Life would be easy. And so I think there's this fascination with something, how I had a a fascination with uh, Alaska and how extreme it is. I think people have a fascination with extreme because we're always comparing in our own lives. We're comparing ourselves to others. I wish it wasn't so because most of the time comparison is, is not a good thing. Sometimes it is. Most of the time it's not. And there's this almost, if there's a problem there, if they have it all, but there's a rift in drama and all this, I can feel more normalized. I don't have to feel as bad about what I don't have because look, they have, or this person has, and it's hard for them to sleep at night or, mm-hmm. oh, they're fighting about this or this is going on. So it sort of makes whatever I'm feeling inside a little bit more okay And, you know, we all have drama in our own lives to some degree. And that drama latches on to the other drama because, again, like attracts like. And so I I think in an ideal world, in, in what I, how I work with my clients is to work on detaching from that. Doesn't mean that you can't go for success, but you have to define what success is for yourself. Please don't look at the spelling family or my dad or Hugh Jackman or any other, you know, Drew Barrymore. You have to define what it is for you that, that is successful. Cause it's not just money. I can tell you, I grew up with a lot of money. Uh, I met people who have a lot of money, who you could say they were the glamour of Hollywood and they weren't happy. Money does not make people happy. It's a bumper sticker. Rationally, I think everyone goes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But the conversation that is keeping people up at night is if I had money, I wouldn't stress. If I had money, I'd be happy. If I had money, this, that, 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 that would change. 
And that's the dangling carrot that keeps people running like this. And that conversation really needs to be changed because people are walking around feeling like shit based on what they don't have. When if they traded places with someone who they looked up to or looked and scrolled and said, oh my gosh, they're on a yacht and it's $2 million. I will, you know, $2 million a week. I'm never going to have that. If they were to trade places, it would be a blast, right? For the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day. But you know what? By the sixth day, they have to look at themselves in the mirror. They still think about what their insecurities are, what their relationships are, how they want to mean something in the world, what their purpose is, how it all makes sense. And then they're going to go, great, I have all of this. And still, I have the same feelings inside. I would agree with all that. Well, that's what I think. So Randy Spelling Coaching, I, that's what you, I think I read on your website that you said, like you had all this and yet you were still searching for yourself. So that is exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I know some people might say, oh, well, that's so easy for him to say. He doesn't know what it's like to not have money. Right. He did. So it's, it's easy for someone to go, well, I'm just going to search for myself and find my purpose. And great. Here's a rich kid who's just going to go find their purpose without getting into too much detail. I had never thought I wouldn't have. And, and a lot of this was me. This wasn't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to blame anyone else for this other than I was in a position where I had to figure out how I was going to support my family and make money. Right. And Which so, you never thought you would be in. I never I thought imagine. I would be in. I never thought I would be in. With, with due reason. Yeah. I mean, l- listen, that said, I was never facing being out on the street the following week. It never got that grave, but it, it was to the point that it was keeping me up at all hours of the night. It consumed all of my thoughts. In a way, I made money God. I made money the most important thing because it consumed me. And so I know exactly what it's like to be consumed by being consumed by money, being consumed by making money. And then the part of me that was spiritual going, but why am I so consumed with money? I don't want to be consumed with money. I know that money is not the answer, but I couldn't help it. Right. That's that survival mode of I have to feed my family. What am I going to do? So it is, it's, it's teaching people. And listen, I help people strategize. I, I work with companies and, and businesses, how to make more money, how to grow their bottom line, but do it in a way that's sustainable, um, emotionally sustainable and fulfilling for all involved. So even the people who aren't just the higher ups in the business can have a good experience because at the end of the day, it's not just about money. You're at a place eight hours a day, 10 hours a day. If you have to focus on work, right? If you had to focus on doing this, but you couldn't stand the people that you were interviewing, after a while, it would feel shitty. You would just go, you know what? I don't feel good. Thinking about what I have to do tomorrow, I don't want to do it. And that is a waste of time. We are here for a finite amount of time. Might as well make the best of it. So how did your coaching business start and how did you have all this figured out? Like I said, I, I, won't, I won't self-actualize you. You have your problems too and you have your bad days, but 
you still are talking wise thoughts. Like how does that come about? You know, again, like I maybe it's me. I'm the one being stereotypical. You know, you grow up one way. Like how did you get here? I mean, like you needed to support your family. You could do a lot of different things. Like how did you figure all this out? I didn't have it all figured out when I started coaching. I enrolled in a two-year program to learn the fundamentals and, you know, and I started coaching people pro bono, then some paid and just coach, 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 gathered information and data from people. Um, so yeah, I didn't have it all figured out, but I'd been on my own, I guess you could call it a spiritual journey, right? A, who am I? How do I bring meaning to the world? And also how do I fill myself up in the process? A lot of trial and error. I failed many times. As you heard, I was, uh, you know, battling addiction. And, but I, I, I got into meditation and uh, reading all sorts of philosophical texts, metaphysical texts, um, psychology of all kinds when I was about uh, 17. So I'd always, as a kid, I'd always been sensitive. Like I said, I was always empathic. I always wanted the best for people. There there was always this urge to want everyone to be happy. And I can't explain that. That's not a nurture. That's just how I was born. And so that followed me. Then I wanted to learn more about how we work, how human beings fundamentally uh, gather information, receive information, and what we do with that. So uh, it was somewhat natural. My, my friends could say, oh, I'm not, I'm not shocked that he would become a life coach and he would work with people because I was always the one, uh, you know, hanging out with my friends, but I'd also sit and read these weird books. They would go, what are you reading? What are you doing? So, um, Yeah. Long story short, I didn't have it all figured out, but I garnered information along the way. I worked um, as a student with some amazing people. I had some incredible mentors who helped me out when I needed help. And I I got a chance to learn from and between a lot of books, a lot of teachers, uh, people who still even guide me uh, at times, I just sponged the information And then, you know, my clients have been such a gift because I work now with people for 13 years and really levels the playing field to see working with people all over the world, lots of money, very little money, people who are in debt, you name it, man, woman, he, she, they, all of it. There's still about seven main things that drive us and we all fundamentally want the same things in life. So that just levels the playing field. It does. And so, I mean, in a way, like, don't you think your background, like in a way helps you? I mean, maybe not, but I would think like- Absolutely. Because you've seen- My my background, it helped even being an actor. People are like, don't you miss acting? I say, hey, don't count me out. You never know. I might host something or I might do this or that. But it would it would be something where I'm I'm either some sort of consultant or coach or doing something, a part of something that I feel is going to have a positive effect on people in some way, shape, or form. 
But being an actor, it was incredible because I got to really understand what it's like to be someone else, how to put yourself into someone. So when I'm working with a client, I, I, in a way, I put myself into them to really try and feel and understand what they're going through. What are the thoughts in their head at night when they're drinking coffee and their heart rate goes up because they're stressed about something? What is that? Because if you can't do that, you can't see what actually needs to change. It's like someone who wants to lose weight, right? And they go, wow, I've done all these things and I just can't, I just, you know, I can't stay motivated. They don't have the right motivation. It's only when you can find that, you know, it's like you could say, you could say wealth, you could say abundance, but people at night are sitting up at 12, at one going, I wish I had more money. I need to make more money and I don't know how. Unless you talk about money and use the word that is the thought that's in someone's head, you cannot change that thought because abundance, while it sounds beautiful, wealth, while it sounds more holistic, doesn't have the same resonance. It doesn't have that same signature that when you use the word, people go, oh yeah, yeah. That's it. That, that's exactly what's happening. And through doing this, you found even more so, like you said, everyone wants seven or eight fundamental things. And that's like the level playing field. Like the more you coach, the more you've seen that. Yeah. I mean, number one, I would say is happiness. And I know it's a very blanket term, uh, could sound a little vanilla, but we all want to be happy. I, I, don't, I've, I haven't met someone who they might not say happiness is their first want, but if you say, do you not want to be happy? They, right. They, they wouldn't answer that. It was, no, I don't, I don't want to be happy. I, I want to go through life and be miserable. That's just what I want. People want to be happy. It's the route. It's the vehicle that they think they need to take to get to happiness, which shows up as money, the love of my life. Uh, this business that I want to create. Now, the caveat here is I'm all for getting the love of your life. I'm all for creating that business. I'm all for helping you to make more money. But if the, the, the core thing that you want is happiness, the money that you might make might be a year and a half out. The love of your life might be six months out. Why don't we work on ways to make you happy now? Because the, the happier you are, the quicker that business gets created, the quicker the love of your life sees what you're giving off and goes, oh, okay, now I'm ready to meet you. And then you have that domino effect. So why not go after the thing that you really want now and not put it off in the future? I feel like I'm getting a free coaching session right now. <laughs> which I'm not arguing about when, when you have clients come to you, new clients, are they ever like, Oh my God, you're Randy spelling. Like, does that ever happen? Once in a while, sometimes uh, I'll book a call with people because I don't ever, I won't take someone on as a personal client without talking with them and making sure I'm the right person to help them and vice versa, you know, that we're a good fit and people I, I was writing this woman back on Instagram the other day and she was saying, I don't believe it's you prove it to me. And I'm like, 
what, what do you, what do you want me to do? She's like, I, it's probably someone on your team. It's probably someone that's working for you that, you know, is writing me right now. And she went into this whole story, creating this whole story of how it's not me. And, you know, so yeah, sometimes that does happen. Do you ever get the like, listen, there's a lot of fans for a lot of TV shows that are very diehard. Do you ever get like those like, oh my God, like I'm, you know, a 90210 fan and you're just like, listen, this is a real business. I'm a real coach. I've, I've only had, I've never had someone maybe once in my 13 years where I was thinking, why are we talking right now? Other than that, people, they may say, you know, I was a big 90210 fan. But the reason why we're having that call is about them. It's not about me. It's not because they wanted to talk to me. It's because there's something that they want that they need support getting. Well, that's good. I'm just, you know, you never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair question. Did you watch the new 90210, the six-part reboot? I did. Yeah. It was good. I think it should have gone on. It was really creative. It took me by surprise. I... I selfishly thought it was going to be the same characters and they were just going to pick up where they left off just 20 years later. I would have loved to have seen that. But so I was expecting that. So after the first episode, I kind of sat there going, what, what, whoa, what? It was such a 180. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, good for all of them for flipping it on its head and taking a shot, right? Like it's a really creative way to have told the stories and have done that. And I think if the show went on, they would have gone back in the characters. I was impressed with the the creativity that was used to do that. I thought it was really good. So after you watch the first episode, do you pick up the phone and call Tori and say, hey, let's discuss. I wrote her. You I did? texted her and I said, I have to be honest, I was shocked because it wasn't what I thought. And the more that I think about it, I'm really impressed that you and Jenny created this. That I, I, I'm, yeah, hats off to you for, for taking a, a huge chance and doing something uh, different. It was really good. Do you talk to Tori a lot? Like, are you guys I do. We text a lot. Um, you know, she, it's sort of a text here and there and, you know, she has five kids. She's busy. She's working. I'm working. I have kids. So, uh, it's these sporadic text messages. Did you ever watch like all of her other stuff? Like Tori and Dean, you know, like true Tori, which I imagine would have been hard to watch. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I try and watch all of, um, all the projects that my family does. And you just always stayed out of any of the drama that might've been going on. As best I could. Um, now I do, but I'm also older and wiser. Uh, I, I wasn't able to as much back then cause I was kind of in the middle of it. And now I, I do my best if, if anyone comes to me and wants to talk to me about something I'm here. Um, but I, I really try not to get involved. How's your mom doing? She's doing well. Yeah, I think, you know, COVID's kind of hard because uh, 
she, she can't hang out with as many friends as she normally does. Um, so I think that's been kind of difficult, but, uh, other than that, she's doing well. Do you find COVID has been a big like factor on your business? Like, are you busier than ever? Or is it something like people want to, like, is that factored into your business or people just want to focus on their regular issues? It kind of went like this for a while. So I, I noticed it was, um, it took a dip immediately because some people were like, Oh my gosh. And you know, in panic. And then, and then I got a surge of people who wanted to work with me and now it's just, uh, balanced out as kind of steady. And then, uh, lately it's, it's been, uh, it's been busy and because, you know, I can only take on so many personal clients, one-on-one clients at a time. Um, so because of that, I also have a few other courses that I've created that, are uh, less expensive and can can house more people to get the benefit that uh, that they want to get. That's good. And before we wrap up, two things. What do you think your father would say if he could see you now living in Oregon or Oregon with a coaching business far from Hollywood? I think he'd be proud. I think truthfully at the very beginning he would have been shocked just he wouldn't fully understand it because he knew entertainment that was his domain that was his world but i i think that he would be proud because at the end of the day he valued making people feel something and i think that's what he strived for the most is to be entertaining to have fun uh, he liked creativity, but he really wanted to make people feel something. And, you know, he, even with all the drama of his shows, he had shows like Any Day Now that talked about racism. He had, uh, sorry, oh, what was that? I think, yeah, it was Any Day Now. And then there was something like Day One, you know, with dropping the bomb. I mean, there's there's so many varied shows. There was uh, the AIDS movie and the band played on. Yeah, yeah. And so he did do varied content that made people aware of issues. I don't think he was known for those things as much as just the serial kind of, some people called it fluff. Some people called it drama entertainment, but there were quite a few things he did that I thought were really impactful. And so, yeah, I hope he'd be proud. I think he would be. You're living your truth, you know, and you have a nice family. So what is there not to be proud? Are you going to watch 90210 with your children when they're, of an appropriate age and your wife? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Good one. We, we have a whole big roster of shows to watch to, to educate them on my family. <laughs> I don't know where, I mean, listen, I don't know where you would start. Charlie's Angels, Heart to Heart, Family. Like, listen, you're- We might have to do one episode of each. Seriously. Just give them a buffet. The Love Boat. I mean, they're all- is there anything else that we haven't covered that you would like to cover here today? Like, feel free to discuss anything you want. Thank you for entertaining all my questions. Of course. Yeah. Um, no, I think, I think we, yeah, I think we discussed quite a bit. Well, like I said, I feel like I've got a coaching session. So if I ever need a coach in life, I'm coming directly to you, which I might, Please who knows. Do. Where can everyone find you online? Uh, Randyspelling.com. And uh, yeah, 
that's pretty much the central place. All my courses and programs, ways of working with me are on there. And then um, I have great free content on there too. So if someone just wants to, you know, get, get something that will help them in the moment, great, go, go consume there. I always say have a positive place to plug into. And, you know, if, if whoever's listening, if you need a positive place to plug into, please follow me on social media. I do my best to share as much as I can um, valuable content and ways to help you feel better in your life and start changing your perspective on a daily. And where can we find you on Instagram? Uh, Randy Spelling. And then Facebook, Randy Spelling Coaching. I keep it simple. Listen, that's simple. So everyone needs to follow you. If anyone needs coaching, you are available. And I really, really appreciate you taking your time. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Randy. I'll keep in touch. Okay. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind the Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.